I want to once again welcome you. Welcome over in the venue. Thank you, Pastor Dan, for uh, pastoring that group over there and for the team that has led worship over there this morning. Blessings uh, to all of you. Um, a lot of you, uh, I know, have your Bibles, and that's always a, a good thing. Um, if you're here and you don't uh, have a Bible, maybe you don't own a Bible, it's okay. Uh, I, I'm going to put all the verses up on the screen. They're in your notes. But if you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you, maybe um, after our gathering, go into the altar room and say, I, I don't have a Bible. Because we want to make sure you have your own copy of, of God's Word. Now, now, I realize the culture that we live in today, a lot of people don't have Bibles. They've never seen a Bible. And maybe that's you. We're thankful that you're here. It's one of the reasons why we put all the notes and all the verses in the, the, the program and on the jumbotrons, because we want you to see the Word of God for yourself. But it's also important that you have your own copy of this incredible book. And if you don't have one, just like, it's our honor, it's our privilege. One of the things that we will do with that offering that was just given is we'll buy Bibles. You can't believe how many Bibles we buy. And we love to give them away to people. And so please, c come into the altar room, over in the venue, if you're there and you don't have a Bible, just go up and see Pastor Dan and we'll, we'll put in your hands a copy of, of God's um, word. You know, um, this really isn't one uh, book. It's really 66 different books. It, it, it's really more of a, of a library, if you will, of books. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and so forth, all the way through. It ends at the, the Old Testament ends in the book of Malachi. And then you have 27 books in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are what we call the Gospels. They record the life of Jesus. Then you've got the book of Acts, which tells us about uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the, the birth of this thing called the, the church, and then it ends in the book of Revelation. So you got these 39 books in the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, really the theme of it was Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, everything kind of changes, and now the theme of the Old Testament is that Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Savior is coming. Now, they didn't know who that was. They just were told by God through the prophets that God was going to send a Messiah. When you get to the book of Malachi, all of a sudden, when it ends, God goes silent for about 400 plus years. He doesn't say a thing, doesn't speak through prophets, nothing, silence for 400 years. Then God breaks his silence by sending <clears throat> uh, an angel, and this angel shows up to a gal by the name of Elizabeth and tells Elizabeth that her and her husband were going to have a, a baby together in their old age, and that baby was gonna be John the Baptist. About six months later, that same angel shows up to a virgin by the name of Mary and tells Mary, Mary, you're going to have a child also, but yours isn't going to be the old-fashioned way. Your child's going to be very unique. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're the one who will give birth to the long-awaited Messiah, 
Those 39 books in the Old Testament that pointed to the moment that God was going to send the Messiah was all going to take place. The Messiah, the Savior, was going to come through this virgin by the name of Mary. And so after 400 years, God breaks his silence, and, um, and now we've got the life of Jesus, as I said, in the, uh, those four uh, Gospels. I would say that the theme of the New Testament is that Jesus has come. So the Old Testament theme, Jesus is coming. The New Testament theme, Jesus has come. And the theme of the whole Bible could be that Jesus is. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3 gives us a, a, a really great bit of information about the Bible, these 66 different books. The Bible says that all Scripture, the 39 books in the Old Testament, the 27 books in the New Testament are inspired by God and they're useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It, it corrects us. Those 39 books in the Old Testament, those 27 books in the New Testament, it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, those 66 different books, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. In other words, God supernaturally filled the writers of the Bible with his Holy Spirit so that they would write his words, not theirs. The Bible is God-breathed. It's God-inspired. There's no other book like it. And so God's Holy Spirit fills these particular individuals, and in their own personalities, they write the very words of God. Now, D.L. Moody said this about the Bible. He said, the Bible wasn't written to answer your questions. It was written to change your life. That's why the Bible was written. Now, I want you to know, it does answer a lot of our questions. There's a lot of great information in this book. God does answer lots of questions about life in this book. But that's not why God uh, gave us these 39 books in the Old Testament and these 27 books in the New Testament. God had this pinned that our lives would be changed, that our lives would be transformed by the message that's contained within it. Now, we're in a, 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 a series here where we're looking at the New Testament book of Ephesians. So you got the 39 books in the Old Testament, and you got the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're looking at a letter that a man by the name of Paul, the great apostle, wrote to a church in a town called Ephesus. And the passage that we're going to read today, without a doubt, captures the, the primary message of the Bible in a very clear way. Yes, this book has lots of data about lots of different things, but it also has one primary message. Contained within lots of great information, there is one primary message that God was trying to communicate to us from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the end of all 66 of these, these books. So let's read it together, our, our text. Okay, That's Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 1. Paul says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil 
the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by grace that you have been saved. Now I want everybody to zero in on, on verse one. The Holy Spirit fills Paul and the Holy Spirit says this to us, once you were dead, you were dead. God says that you were dead. Some of you right now are dead. God didn't say that you were having a bad day. God didn't say that you were sick. God didn't say that you were depressed. God didn't say that you were tired. God didn't say that you were confused. God says that you were dead. You were dead. And there's one thing that's interesting about a dead person. A dead person can't do anything to change their situation. If you're tired, you, you can change that. Get a good night's sleep. You're hungry, you, you can do that. Just eat a you know, hamburger. But when you're dead, there's nothing you can do to change your situation. When you're dead, you're totally hopeless. When you're dead, you're totally powerless. When you're dead, you're totally at the mercy of somebody else. When you're dead, you, you can't resuscitate yourself. You're dead. And the Bible is crystal clear that everybody in this room was spiritually dead at some point in their life. We, we were all walking zombies. Some of you are still dead now. Now here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna ask six questions, okay? Now I only have answers to the first five, okay? The last one only you can answer. Only question six, um, you know, you, you can answer. But I think as I go through these questions, you'll have a, a better grasp on these first five verses of chapter two. You'll have a better grasp on what the primary message of all 66 of these books is. So here we go. Question number one. What exactly does it mean when Paul said, once you were dead? Paul is going to start by giving us some bad news. Because when you got bad news, then you'll understand what the good news is. But you gotta know what the bad news is. And he starts here means that we had no relationship with God. And I chose that phrase. I, there were lots of phrases that I could have picked there, but I chose that. When Paul says that once you were dead, what he's talking about is, is that there was a time when you had no relationship with the God of the Bible. It means that you were separated from the God of the Bible. It means you were numb, if you will, to the God of the Bible. It means he, that you have no capacity to respond to the one 
true living God of the Bible. Yes, your physical heart was beating, but your spiritual heart was dead. Obviously, some of you are in here and your heart is beating. You walked in here, you're, you're listening to the songs, you're watching all this take place. Your physical heart is alive, but your spiritual heart is dead. You, you, you don't have a relationship with the one true living God, the God that is revealed in these 66 books. A spiritually dead person rejects the God of the Bible. A spiritually dead person den denies the existence of the God of the Bible. A spiritually dead person actually works against the purposes of the God of the Bible. And some of you are going, hold, hold, hold on here. I was tracking with you for a second. But what do you mean they, they work against? I don't believe in God, and maybe, maybe you think I'm spiritually dead, but I certainly aren't working against the purposes of God. I'm not hostile to the things of God. After all, pastor, I'm here, aren't I? If I was hostile to God, I wouldn't even be here today. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8. He was meeting with a bunch of um, spiritually dead people. They were physically alive, but they had no relationship with God. And he said this. He said, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but the Father is the one who sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things that he does. Now here's the thing. It's okay if you don't like what I'm saying because I'm just reading what Jesus said. But that's a weighty statement. That's some, that's some heavy stuff right there. You see, before you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you had a different spiritual father, and you were committed to carrying out his desires. Now, now you didn't know it at the time. You weren't consciously thinking about it. Nobody you know, wakes up in the morning and says, you know, all right, today I'm going to do my best to carry out you know, the wishes of my spiritual father, the devil. Nobody does that. I mean, there's a, a few weirdos out there that I'm sure probably do, do, do that, but you didn't do that. I, I know it. In fact, you didn't even believe that there was a devil. You're in here right now thinking, there's no such thing as a devil. There's no such thing as, as evil. Demons aren't, aren't real. The fact that, you know, Hitler killed six million Jews, come on, he was just a, he was just a bad guy. The fact that Jeffrey Dahmer ate people, nah, he, just, he was just a dumb, you know, no. There are demons in the world. The devil's real. Just pick up your newspaper and just read it any given day. The only one way to explain all of the stuff in life, the evil and the wickedness in life, only one way. It's not because people woke up on the wrong side of the bed. There is a force at work that some of you have no, no clue about. Now, Jesus also made this powerful statement in Matthew chapter 12. He said, anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working 
against me. Now, once again, nobody woke up this morning saying, okay, today I'm going to do everything I can to mess up what Jesus has planned for the world. None of you did that. But, but Jesus is crystal clear here. If you are dead, if you're spiritually dead, you're not for him. You're actually against him. Jesus doesn't leave any wiggle room here. You're either dead to God, you have no relationship with him, which then means that there are forces at work in your life. There are purposes and, and, and all of that that you don't even know that you're working to accomplish or you're alive. You're for him. Well, before I gave my life to Christ, I can't remember a time when I had a bad thought about God or about Jesus or about the church. I don't ever remember a day when I woke up and said, okay, today let's do the work of the devil. Today let's try to figure out what the church is doing, what, what Jesus is doing, and let's see if I can, you know, cut it off at the knees. I, I hate Jesus. I don't like Jesus. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure. I, I never did that. I thought I was somewhat, you know, neutral as it related to God or Jesus or whatever. I was happy for whatever the church was doing. You Christians can sing your little songs. Do whatever you want. I have my life. You've got yours. But the reality is, according to the scriptures, according to Jesus, I wasn't neutral. Because I was dead spiritually, I was actually a part of accomplishing something diabolical that I didn't really realize. Now, we need to keep in mind that every single one of us in this room was at one time dead to God. All of us were. It's one of the things that we all have in common over in the venue, watch it online. online. All of us at one time were dead to God. We were numb to God. We, 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 um, uh, we had no relationship with the God of the Bible. There was a time when Paul, the person who wrote this letter, was once dead to God. Peter, James, and John were all at one time dead spiritually. Mary was at one time dead spiritually. We were all at one time dead spiritually. So question number one was what does it mean when Paul said once you were dead? Well, the answer is it means that you had no relationship with the God of the Bible. You were spiritually dead. Number two, how exactly did this death occur? How that? Well, this spiritual death occurred when Adam sinned. In Romans chapter five, it says when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone has sinned. If, um, if this Ebola uh, uh, crisis kind of breaks out in the United States of America, we'll all know exactly where it happened, right? We have two Americans who, blessed their souls, went to another country to do their best to try to fight this disease and bring some comfort to some people. And uh, man, it's a bummer, but they got the virus. And because they're American citizens and because we still have the best health care in the world, you know what? They're back on 
our soil. For the very first time, we have a person with the virus, the Ebola virus, here in America. Well, I can guarantee you something. If the, if, you know, I don't know, the curtain gets ripped or whatever they got them in blows up and the Ebola virus now takes over the United States, guess what? We'll know how to trace it back. We'll know where it came from, right? The one guy that's here right now. Well, that's what this Bible verse is telling us. The, the sin virus, the death, the separation from God can be traced all the way back to Adam. The very first person on planet Earth. When Adam sinned against God, it brought death in the world, physical death and way more important, spiritual death. Now, Paul doesn't say that sin originated with Adam because it didn't. Sin originated with, with Satan. What Paul is saying here in this verse is that Adam was the person who brought sin into the human race. When Adam made the decision to disobey a direct command from God, everything changed. Sin was now going to be a part of the human equation forever. So you go all the way back to that very first book of the Bible, Genesis. In chapters 1 and 2, we see how God wanted things to be. He wanted things to just be unbelievably beautiful where we served him and loved him and honored him and obeyed him and he took care of all of our needs. But Adam and Eve made a decision that had a cataclysmic impact on all of us to this day. It brought death. They sinned. They blew God off. They didn't want to live God's way. Adam's one act of disobedience was responsible for infecting the entire human race with sin, which meant that Adam is also to blame for the consequences that sin brought, which was death, physical death, and as I said, way more important, spiritual death. Romans chapter 3 says this, for everyone has sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. All of us, everybody in this room has sinned. We all have sinned, which means there, we're, we're all, we were once all dead, all of us. We've all experienced the consequence of sin. Beloved, sin is at the very heart of everything that goes on in your life, or the life of your family, or your friendships, or the places that you work, or whatever. You see, every broken marriage, every shattered friendship, every argument, every disagreement, every evil thought, every evil word, every evil deed, every good deed undone, every good word unsaid can be attributed to sin. It literally permeates everything that you do. It has impacted your life in ways that you have no clue. This is the bad news. The reason why some of you are experiencing the, the stuff that you're experiencing is all because of sin. Because of sin, there are tears and, and pain and war and fighting and anxiety and discord and unrest and fear and worry and sickness and Ebola viruses and death and famine and earthquakes and pollution and anything else that mars the planet. But worst of all, sin brought death, physical death and spiritual death to all that have come before us and will bring death to everybody that's going to come after us. It's just, it just impacts all of us. 
Now this brings me to question number three. Pastor Rick, what exactly is sin? What exactly is sin? Well, sin is falling short of God's standard. Once again, Romans 3 says, for everyone sinned, and he now kind of, kind of sets the bar. We, we've fallen short of God's glorious standard. And God's glorious standard is perfection. Jesus said, be, be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard. That's the bar. You want to have a relationship with God? You've got to be perfect. You want to get into heaven, perfect place? You've got to be perfect. Because if God allowed uh, sinful people to get into heaven, then heaven wouldn't be perfect anymore. It'd be just like earth. If all of a sudden you let sinful people up there, it'd be like letting the Ebola virus loose. We'd all be impacted. We'd all be infected with it. You know? It wouldn't take long. And so sin is, is uh, missing the mark. In fact, there are some places today on the planet where they'll have archery competitions, and I'm going to keep this kind of simple. But imagine a, a bullseye set up here, you know, a big target, and in the middle is the red bullseye. So everything's all white, and you've got a red bullseye in the middle. They'll have these archery competitions where people will take bows and arrows, you know, and they'll, and they'll let that arrow go. Real competitions, even to this day, especially over in Europe. And if the arrow misses the bullseye, there's a guy standing off to the side who goes, Sin! You missed the mark. Missed the bullseye. And the next guy shoots his bow and arrow. If he misses, sin! He missed the mark. And if somebody hits the bullseye, you know, they don't do anything. Yeah, you hit it. Mark. They literally use that word, sin. And what the Bible is telling us is sin is missing the mark. The bullseye that God has set for us is perfection. Well, Adam kind of messed it up for everybody in Genesis 3. Nobody hits the bullseye anymore. Nobody lives up to God's glorious standard. You know, I, I, I know some of you, you've set the bar at, uh, man, if I could just be like Rick. <laughs> that's, that's a low bar. Anybody can get over that bar. Well, I'm better than my husband. I'm better than my wife or my neighbor. Who cares? They're not the bar. Anybody could jump over the bar if it was Charlie Manson, but Charlie Manson ain't the bar. That ain't the bullseye. The bullseye is God. And we all can't even get close to that bar. None of us can. We're all sinful. We've all missed the mark. All of us could hear this from God. Sin! You're going to stand before him one day, and, and you, some of you are going to hear that. Sin! And that's not a good thing to hear when you've taken your last breath here on planet Earth. John said this about sin. He said, the person who sins breaks God's law. Yes, 
sin is living against God's law. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Beloved, sin at its core is living as if there is no God. In other words, sin denies the reality of God's authority. So here's how it works. If you don't believe in God, you certainly aren't going to live according to his word, right? You're not gonna obey what God has to say because you don't believe in God. And if you don't believe in God or his authority in your life, who does that put in charge of your life? Who does that put in charge of determining what is right or what is wrong or what is moral or immoral? If it's not God, then who is it? You know who it is? You. You all of a sudden become the God of your own life. I don't believe in God. I'm not gonna live, I ain't gonna follow him. Well, who determines your morality? Who determines what's right, wrong? You're gonna make that decision now. And that puts you on the throne. So one of the great questions for people to answer is who, who is, who does have authority over my life? Who, who is it? For most of us in this room, it's God. Thank you, Robert. For a lot of years, it wasn't God in my life. For some of you, it's not God. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 1, if we claim to be without sin, we just deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know, there's always somebody. And I, you know, in my job, I get, I get to meet these people who will, um, you know, claim that, you know, well, I, don't, I don't have any sin in my life. Um, you know, and then, you know, hand me your phone. Let me just call your wife. We, we can clear this up in just a couple seconds. Let me talk to your husband. Let me talk to your children. Let me talk to the person you work with in the cubicle next to you. Look, one of the things that I knew about me before I ever gave my life to Christ, when I was dead, was I knew I was a bad guy. I wouldn't have called it sin, because that was kind of a Bible word, but I knew I was bad. I knew I had thought bad things. I knew I had done bad things. I had said bad things. I mean, I, I knew I was bad. I knew there was the propensity for bad things, evil in my life. Some of the things that used to run through my brain, unbelievable. I knew I was bad. So the, the biblical concept of sin, that was a no-brainer. I got that. And everybody in this room gets it, if you're honest. James chapter 4 says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. God has a lot of things in here that he has told us that he wants us to do with our lives, things he wants us to be involved in. And there are things in here that God tells us not to get involved in. Unfortunately, the church always has the list of all the things we're not to do. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And we never talk about all the wonderful things that God wants us to do, wants us to be involved in. And when you make the decision to do some of the things that God doesn't want you to do, or you make the decision not to do some of the things, it's sin. It's sin. Once again, look at verse one and two. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, uh, uh, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. 
He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And let me just talk just briefly about that passage. What does it mean here when it says you used to live in sin, obeying the, the devil, the spirit at work in the hearts of those of you that uh, refuse to obey? Well, as I said earlier, it simply means that before a person becomes a follower of Jesus, before their sins are forgiven, they're in bondage to worldly ways. They're in bondage to worldly teachings or worldly philosophies. They have no choice, whether it be society's opinions, you know, fleshly pleasures, global purposes, governmental standards, Planned Parenthood type values. The Bible clearly teaches that before you give your life to Jesus, when you're dead to God, you're in bondage to somebody else's thinking, somebody else's values, somebody else's philosophies. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. In other words, God is, uh, 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 the God of this age, the devil, the demons have blinded the, the minds of those who are dead. See, same, same thing. John put it this way. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under control of the evil one. And these are just some weighty thoughts, believer. Being a follower of Christ isn't a walk in the park. We're living in a, in a, a world that has you know, powerful forces at work in it. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 12, the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, the ruler of those who are dead, will be cast out. All this to say that because we're dead to God, it puts us in bondage to forces that are diametrically opposed to the teachings or the values that you find in Scripture. So the Bible clearly teaches that all of us were, were at one time dead to God, dead spiritually, and this death was a result of Adam's sin, disobedience in the Garden of Eden, which just brings me to number four. Question number four. Can a spiritually dead person be made alive? Now we're going to get to the good news. If I ended right now and said, hey, everybody go have lunch. Glad you came to church. Man, that'd be a bummer. But there's good news. Yeah, there's bad news. But there's good news. And the answer is yes, when a person puts their trust in God's Son, Jesus Christ. There was a day when John the Baptist was, was baptizing and there were lots of people standing in the water and on the banks of the river and all that. And Jesus showed up and John sees him standing in the crowd and this is what he said. He said, I, this is John the Baptist, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you don't recognize. Which is true for some of you. You still don't recognize him. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. This encounter took place in Bethany on the uh, area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, and he points at Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away what Adam did in Genesis chapter three, he takes away the sin of the world. That's what brought death. 
And look, the Lamb of God, he takes away the sin of the world. He takes away the Ebola virus, if you will. You're no longer under a, a death sentence anymore because Jesus can take away the sin of the world. Remember the, the 39 books? The Savior's coming. The Messiah's coming. In a little town called Bethlehem, the Savior was born. And now you have these 27 books in the New Testament that point us back to the fact that the Savior has come. The one who can e eradicate the effects of sin in our lives. Jesus Christ came into the world to save us from sin. That's, that's the reason for his coming. Sin had marred our lives. It had made us dead to God. But God so loved us that he sent his son to deal with the problem of sin and death. Our text says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved you and I so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. Colossians chapter two captures this thought this way. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive, how? Through good works, by being baptized, by giving an offering, no. By, through Christ, for he forgave us all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charge against us and took it away by nailing it to a cross. He took the Ebola virus out of you and he nailed it to the cross so no longer do you have to worry about dying, you see. John said this in John chapter 20. He said, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, the reason why I wrote these in John's gospel was that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life. You see, you're dead now. If you already were alive, what do you need life for? You need life because you're dead. See? And so John says, hey, look, I could have wrote a lot of things about the life of Jesus. Um, but what I did write, I wrote so that you would understand that if you put your trust in him, if you'd believe in him, you'd be alive. You'd be made alive again. No longer in bondage to, you know, crummy, worldly, fleshly passions and worldly philosophies or, or whatever all those things might, might be. Now this brings me to uh, question number five. What happens if a person rejects Jesus Christ? Well, the answer is pretty, pretty clear, right? If you reject Jesus Christ, you just remain dead in your sins. You remain dead, you remain dead to God. It means you're, you're separated from God. It means you remain numb to God. Yes, your physical heart will still beat, but your physical heart will remain dead. Now let me quickly say this. If you've given your life over to Jesus Christ and you've thus been made alive, let me tell you why it's important to stay in the Word of God, studying the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, why it's important to get into a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study, whatever all those things might, might, might be. Proverbs chapter 21 says, a man who wanders from the way of understanding, 
will rest in the assembly of the dead. You see, if you're not fellowshipping with other believers, if you're not uh, going to a Bible study, if you're not in the Word of God, there's only one other place you're gonna, you, you got to hang out, and that's just with, with dead people. Oh, their hearts are beating, but they're dead. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good morals. In other words, you, you get with the wrong people, man, and it'll just drag you down a rat hole. I wish it was the other way around, but it's not. Got to be careful. It's easy to be made alive and then go hang out with a bunch of dead folk who don't care about God, don't care about anything else. So this brings me to the last question, okay? It's the only question that I can't answer, okay? You, you, only you can answer it, and that's this. Are you dead or are you alive? Are you dead or are you alive? I know most of you. Most of you have given your life to Jesus Christ. You were dead, but you accepted Christ into your life. He forgave you of your sin, made you alive. I know that. But I don't know all of you. I don't know who's even over sitting in the venue. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're listening on the radio. I don't know. But you need to answer the question, am I alive or am I dead? Have I given my life to Christ or have I not? John said this. He said, and this is what God has testified he has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has the life. Whoever doesn't have the Son doesn't have the life. I mean, it's pretty simple. You either have the life that Jesus gives you through a relationship with him, or you don't have the life, which means you're dead. It's a pretty simple gig. The beautiful thing is, Jesus said this. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the devil wants to do. That's what uh, the demons want to do. They just want to mess up your life. They want to mess up your family. They, they want to do anything, you know, that'll goof up your life. The, the devil and the demons are diametrically opposed to anything that has to do with God. But Jesus said, I'm different. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And there's nothing more rich and satisfying than coming from the dead and being alive. Nothing. Nothing. And so this is what I'd like to do as I, as I end this thing, okay? Just want you to close your eyes for, for a moment. And um, I don't want you to pray or anything like that. I just want to get you alone. Forget about your husband, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, your parents, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, just, just, it's just you. You're just alone right now. You and I are talking. Are you dead or are you alive? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? And invited him into your life to forgive you of your sin that you might be made alive? Have you ever done that? Last night there were a number of people who did. And I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. Maybe you're over in, in the venue right now. And if you go, man, I'm dead. I've never accepted Christ. I've never given my life to Christ. And you'd like to receive Christ. You'd like to receive life. You'd like to be made alive and know that when you die, someday you'll spend your eternity with God in heaven forever in a place that's truly alive. Just pray this. Just, just in the quietness of your heart, just say, Jesus, I get it. I'm dead. To you. 
But right now, I'm coming alive. I want you in my life. I receive you into my life. I need you. Come and forgive my sin. Cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness. I want to be one of your followers now. Now, while your heads are bowed, and obviously I can't see over in the venue, but if you prayed that, would you just raise your hand or look at me and say, you know what, I, I just became alive. I just gave my life to Christ. I, I just had Jesus forgive me of my sin, and, and, and I'm alive to him. Yeah, got you right here, man. Yeah, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very neat. Anybody else? Make sure I see your hand. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. All right, everybody look up here. This is what I'm going to invite you to do. And over in the venue, I want, there's an altar room over there, just like we have an altar room here. And here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to go into the altar room. And the altar room today isn't going to be for, uh, you know, I need prayer for this or prayer for that or whatever. Today, if you prayed to receive Jesus Christ, you invited Christ into your life. You were dead, and now you're alive. You get it. I'm going to be sitting in there. It'll just be me. And uh, last night, uh, you know, we had a number of people just came in, sat down, and I had a chance just to spend a few minutes with them. And Pastor Dan's going to do it in the venue, over in the altar room in the venue. You just go in there as soon as we're done and just come on in. And there were a number of you that raised your hand, and I just asked you to give me a few minutes. And let me just talk with you and rejoice with you. Maybe give you a Bible or, or something. Maybe you don't have one. But I'm going to be in there. And it's just going to be me, and I'd love to talk with you, okay? Give me, give me five minutes of, of your life, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for today. I've enjoyed every moment of this. I enjoyed every moment of last night. The singing, the communion, the giving, the proclamation of your word. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit that has opened the eyes to a number of people. I pray they'd have the courage to come and say hi to me and tell me about their decision. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen.